Hello, strangers, and welcome to the Strange Horizons podcast for September 9th, 2013. I'm your host and fearless leader, Anaya Before we dive into this week's content, I just want to remind you that this month is our fun drive. This is the month where we raise the bulk of the money used to support Strange Horizons throughout the year and keep us providing you with great fiction, poetry, reviews, columns, and, of course, the podcast. As of the recording of this introduction, we've raised 8% of our fund drive goal, and we've released our first bit of bonus content, Dominic Parisian's poem, I Am Learning to Forget. It's an excellent piece, and you definitely want to check it out. You also definitely want to go over to our fundraiser page, check out how you can support us, get the opportunity to win some prizes, and push us closer to releasing the rest of our bonus content, which includes more podcasts. As for our regularly scheduled content, this week we have Difference of Opinion by Maida Khan. Maida is an autistic woman and a writer of sci-fi. She lives in Colorado. This is her first published work. Now, settle in. Let's begin. Difference of Opinion by Maida Khan Mr. Important One gestures at her, clears his throat. And what about... Oh, her? No, she's just the janitor. She's a lich. She can't even talk. Well then, Important One takes Important Two by the arm. Shall we discuss? Kaya's fingers clench around the handle of the vacuum. One advantage to this position? Nobody believes you're listening. Nobody pays attention to a slump-backed, brownish girl with droopy-lidded eyes. She's got all the genes that make her look less human, according to the important powers that be. Dark and flat-empty eyes, waylaid by a passing speck of dust, turned down at the edges same as her mouth. All of her face droops. She's like a flower that no one ever watered. Maudlin. It's not her fault, of course. Problem is, Kaya's brain never told her to paste her lips upright if she wants people to be nice. It's the IQ machine. She's been told she'd make a very good robot, all things considered. Her hair is fuzzy on the back of her neck. A cluster of bees. The windows of the station reveal an expanse of space that is flatter and blacker than even Kea's eyes. It's supposed to have depth, but the vacuum, the big one, is so big that it circles back round to look flat again. The universe. One thing as void and useless as she is. It's a comforting mantra. Of course, Morit has to go and change that. She's a consultant of something or other. Bright and cheery and spiky-haired, walks like she's got the world on her shoulders and doesn't mind at all. Woman in a man's shirt and khakis. Well, maybe you can't specify like that. But it's a shirt with buttons and a collar and rolled up at the sleeves. Her wrists are sharp and mobile. She's wearing rectangular glasses and carrying a clip pad, and she sweeps into the TSS with this can-do attitude to investigate every nook and cranny. Improve every shortcoming. Quality control. That, Kaya thinks Riley, should ideally involve putting me out the airlock. But Morit doesn't even pause. 
just springs past her to peer wisely at a faulty arrow vent. That's what irks Kea at first. No, 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 Miss Quality Control, don't you see? You're supposed to throw me out with the dust. Clean it, fix it, dispose of me. But it's true, even Kea must acknowledge, she herself is excellent at cleaning toilets. So she does that, for the rest of the week. By the end of her Friday shift, Kea is almost forgetting to worry. And then there's Moray, leaning against the wall by the sink. She's wearing jeans and her going-home jacket, and Moray is like, so... Kea blinks up at her, pretending to beam lasers out of her brain, like, I cannot talk. Have you not noticed that I cannot talk? You are, perhaps, not the sharpest tack in the room, and this room includes me. Abya, says Morit. Don't you have, like, a communication device of some kind? Well, sure, she's got her tablet. But it's not like anyone wants to talk to her, and it's too much of a bother to program the right phrases in. The ones she'd use. She starts thinking about the very smallest things she wants to say, and her head spins and she has to lie down. So, in theory, yes. But really, no. She shrugs. Moritz's brow furrows. Moritz is clearly not used to this kind of reticence. Kea thinks, Ha ha, I've got you now. Got for what purpose, to what end, she doesn't know. But it's perversely satisfying how the first time someone tries to talk to her, she's managed to put them off. I swear to God, says Moritz, if they haven't given you a keyboard of some kind, I'm going to HR. Kea holds both her hands up. Stop. She reaches into the big pocket, pulls out the tablet, shows it to Morit. Points at the little speaker for emphasis. Yes, I can talk. You're worried about my welfare. She's worried about my welfare, isn't she? Oh, ha ha ha. Oh, says Morit, and something unlike worry crosses her face and she backs away. Two steps. Okay. Kea thinks the little quirk above her nose is kind of cute. She has, evidently, flummoxed Morit in a curious way. Without even words. And now Morit is wrinkling her sharp, small nose, and it's not an unappealing result. Kea hits herself in the head at that point. Morit says, oh, again, this time with her voice dipping into concern, and then to fear, and she backs away further, slowly slowly out the door. Kea smiles and does a little waltz with her vacuum bot. Another one bites the dust. She writes on the computer that night. No, no noses. Abya, no crinkles, no. You are a custodian class three. You literally wear a sack. XX, not literally. You wear a uniform that is like a sack. There is no reason to do. The inky blackness of space... I need to cut my hair. She pulls it away from her neck, examines the thick length of ponytail, black and glossy and dandruff-laden. You need to wash your hair, also. It's only because I pick out the scalp every day. Don't you tell me what to do. She laughs in her room, crazy, maniacal laugh she's seen doctors be afraid of, alone at her desk with her feet swinging. Kea is only 1.5 meters tall. Ha 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 Nash on the computer screen sways to the beat. 
Nash is a singer that Kaya admires. She's tall and sleek and golden-skinned, with a ponytail artfully tied and twice the length of Kaya's. You can be robotic, neurotic, dystopic. Your outlook is myopic. The songs are rhythmic and rhymed and words packed close like fried mice in a tin. Words dense and interlocked. No sound escapes and no syllable unravels. Dysphoric, dystonic. Nash is written down in the medical papers as Kea's special interest. There are a couple others in there. Floor plans, dictionary entries, polar coordinates, and the shapes formed therefrom, making things clean. With the polar coordinates, she once spent a day repeating lemons, lemons, lemons because she couldn't remember the word. When she went home and checked, it turned out she meant lemniscates. The traveling TSS, Tayagaki Space Station, took Kea on because they have affirmative action for persons with disabilities. Sounds like justice, but Kea knows better. It's mostly a shtick to acquire menial workers. They need people to clean because TSS is a prime tourist destination. Morit is meant to be sprucing it up for the Ewer's return in two weeks. The Ewer is a very important. Kea is like, ha ha ha, please. I've seen him before. Stuffy old snooty man whose nose is always running. Do you need a handkerchief for that, Ewer? It turns out that Morit is on the Committee for Eugenics. Well, fuckballs. Kea does her research. Should have known that quality control wouldn't be the whole story. Morit is a professor of bioethics, new to the committee, recently hired to assuage their moral reservations. She will observe the committee's workings and bring an objective perspective to the table. Objective, perspective, dysphoric, dystonic. It fits in well with Nash lyrics, and Kea laughs bitterly. Same old story. Checks and balances. Bioethics like a mask they put on to mime human conscience. Last-minute moral panic before they decide it's okay to get rid of you anyway. Not all the importants are into eugenics, but a lot of them are. You have to be careful these days. Never know when one of them will flip the switch and declare their support. Back in the Lich Guild, they used to keep a big chart, ticking down percentages to doom. Is Morit on that chart now? No way to know. Kea thinks about telling her, via mail or keyboard or anonymous performance review, that eugenicists used to include homosexuals in their cleansing efforts. But she suspects that Morit already knows that. She suspects Morit has very sensible justifications to put her philosophy degree to good use. Mm-hmm. She looked up Morit's CV. Who doesn't when a new person enters the station? What you gonna do when they come for you? And as far as she knew, well, she doesn't know for sure, but people broadcast signals with their hair and clothes for reasons, and she's fairly adept at reading the signals, and Morit's broadcasting crystal clear. She wonders if Morit has a girlfriend. Or a boyfriend. Mustn't leave stones unturned. She hits herself in the head, hard with her knuckles, until her forehead has these indentations and bruises. That happens a lot. She goes to get the dockbot to clean her up. No blood this time, though. No shattered mirror. It's happened once before. There was a lithe, smiling, bouncy technician with twitchy fingers and rubbery limbs. He was pale brownish. 
He had soft, wavy hair and light eyes. Kaya needed stitches in her forehead twice. She gave herself a concussion. Headache city. Morit is whitish. Her eyes and hair are dark, dark brown. She's wiry but solid. Her voice is low and smooth and hyper-educated. She's kind of worse. Kea hates prettiness. Slam, slam, oh hot damn. Rush of blood to the head like she's hanging upside down. Mr. Technician was cute, and he hugged her once unprompted, which made her freeze up and scream, and she was very proud afterward of having driven this one away, too. Like anyone, anyone, anyone else. Then Morit. Morit will be harder to drive away, because she wants Kea to talk. And it's going well. She's upping her arsenal of weird behaviors to the max. She's parroting and stimming and chirping and shrinking into corners, pretending it's a choice. But then comes the day that Morit's waiting for her, microphone in hand, and Morit asks her to take out the tablet, and Kea does. And then Morit points the microphone right at the speaker and says... I want you to tell me your perspective on eugenics. You can be robotic, neurotic, erotic. Morit is smiling, so eager, her face all open sesame like this is simple. Like it won't take Kea several days to compose even a fractured, incomplete response. Kea types a single word. No. Morit crosses her arms, huffy. Okay, you intensely laconic person. The italics are evident in her voice. Oh my god, hard words sound the alarm. Let's do this the hard way. I found your writings in the network database. I want to have a colloquium with you. A proper debate. A meeting of the minds. Look, do you drink alcohol? I'll buy you a drink. Kaya's eyes are flickering all over the place because she's been caught. She's been proven. Not a lich. Not exactly, anyway. Mystery woman looks like a lich, but types words. What do we do now? Usual headlines of the non-disabled public. She wonders if Morit is looking for a headline, too. A case study, perhaps? Is she here to analyze Kea's QOL? Lich declares her quality of life acceptable. Too stupid to know otherwise. But Morit is befuddling. Kea has read her papers, the official positions in her record. Liches should not exist, but it's cruel to kill them. You nip them in the womb or as children before they can declare that their lives are worth living. But an adult lich has human agency like everyone else, and more it will support accommodations like a champ. Kea can only conclude that philosophy, as a discipline, is downright loony. And Morit still gazes at her, bright-eyed. There's a negligible quiver at the back of Kea's mind, the beginning of an idea. She types another word. Coffee. Morit laughs. It's infectious. Or it would be if Kea laughed anymore. Okay, says Morit, with a tone of conceding defeat, of bowing to compromise. Coffee it is. Tomorrow, 11 a.m. sharp. Sharpity sharp sharp. Kea nods. Sharp like your goddamn nose, or a mirror fragment she could cut up her face with. It's true. Kea used to work for the Lich Guild. 
She used to spin out impassioned speeches, post them on the database, garner critiques and flame wars and ardent supporters. She used to be a somebody. Overrated, Avya. And isn't it curious, Morit, that the liches created a guild of their own, that we've shown ourselves able to mobilize, when the very label you apply to us, lich, seems to preclude that? Lich is derived from leech, meaning drain on society, unproductive waste of resources. Ballast existence. But we've done things for ourselves, haven't we? And isn't that funny? Isn't that odd? But she doesn't plan on telling this to Morant. Because, see, herein lies the rub. When they think you're useless, they want you dead. But when they start to consider you useful, one, they want you to live. Two, they want you to stay alive for them, for their inspiration, their edification. Three, they start doing things like patting you on the shoulder and telling you they've been so privileged to meet you that you've changed their outlook on life. And that is why Kea left the Lich Guild. Cost-benefit analysis. She may not be up on the details of utility as Morit is, but she knows intuitively that it's better to be skipped over as a blank-eyed husk than it is to peddle yourself as a zoo animal. The Lich Guild was for liches, but like everything else, the normals made it about them. Technically, it's a hiatus. Kea let her license expire temporarily. She's supposed to go back one of these days. But even the thought of repeating her old arguments to Morit fills her with a nameless trepidation and despair. Only Nash has the answers to these questions. Kea puts on the track. Stars dazzle outside the window. Kea smashes her entire body against a bulkhead, trying to shake free of the anxiety, the anxious fantasy. Nothing we can do, babe. The song reads like a portent. Love me like an enemy, but these pleasantries, this courtesy, you'd kill me in the theoretical, but our DOI is just rhetorical. We got the words so perfectly set up, they all convinced we're too opposed to fucks, but sooner or later, babe, the secret will be out, shut me up, and slap me so I don't know what you're about. Nash gets it. Nash knows where it's at. Nash is the one who taught Kea that an echo is stronger than a diamond. DOI stands for difference of interest, something that occurs between importance. That's the formal name, but everybody calls it a difference of opinion. It is often the reason behind crimes and misdemeanors. Crime of passion is one thing. Crime of DOI, another. The importance will get into fights all the time over blank frontier lands, over unmined moons and planets ripe for colonization. I, too, am an unclaimed colony. More at once my head and nothing else. My head for a study? My head for her to play devil's advocate. My head for her to crack it open. She can't fathom it. And she tries until the head in question hurts. Dangerous liaisons. They meet in the station cafeteria, but it's awkward as hell since higher-ups like Morit aren't supposed to be seen talking to the janitor. This is some Romeo and Juliet shit, Kea thinks Riley. She never read the play, but everyone knows the gist. They both die in the end. But anyway, too many cafeteria stares, too much murmur. So they curl up in the hall by one of the big spacey windows, on the wide sill, balancing their coffee on their knees. 
Kaya sips more caffeine than she's meant to, and tries to convince herself that's what set her hands to shaking. She has tremors, you know. Her hands are almost always shaking. Kaya lays it out for Morit, simple. She has a statement prepared on her tablet, which does not indicate lower quality of life. Other people make it harder for us. If society treats us as people, then we will be people. Kindergarten justice, but it's hard for importance to grasp. Morit listens and asks eager questions, and Kaya finds her fingers tripping over each other, can't type fast enough to keep up. Don't you think it's cruel to allow children to live as you do? Given the choice, wouldn't you prefer to be cured, at least? No, 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 no. Sweet, naive Morit, terribly silly Morit, who thinks Kaya ought to be flipped out of existence, yet asks her the questions like Kaya's opinion on it matters. There's a moment her head goes all clear like she's back on her meds and she's some kind of zombie. They've taken out her proper neuronal connections, all is disparate and scattered, and she can see reality. It's only because Morit is never like, Kaya, sweetheart. Everyone else has been like, Kaya, sweetheart, well-meaning caregivers with ready smiles and hands eternally in position to help. Importance. Near about everyone. Kaya tells herself, of all the people you could get tangled up with, this is the least safe. Except it's fragile, that statement. It will shatter into millions of pieces like the mirror when she smashes her head into it. That's a lie. Mirror smash. Our DOI is just rhetorical. Moritz, ridiculous, Abya. Kea knows well the danger of getting into habits with others. Habit is a personal, litchy thing. Rituals and shoes lined up just so. But Moritz's strange, argumenty thing becomes a habit. They hang out by the spacey windows and sip coffee and debate. They talk about Kea's life, theorize, is your life worse than others? Yes, it is, but that's others' fault. Morit is quite reasonable, and her hands move quick, fly through the air in gesticulations. She knows at some point it will catch up with her, that there will be consequences for allowing a normal into her life, for allowing this normal, who sees the hypothetical lich as an assemblage of facts and figures, but who sees Kea as almost a person. After the fifth time, Traded words and spiraling coffee heat in the flat, blank, big vacuum outside the window. After that is when it goes down. Kay returns to her quarters and finds importance one and two waiting for her. She doesn't resist. She doesn't even move or cry as they wrest her tablet from her grasp and throw it in the trash compactor. She goes as limp as a rag doll. You gotta be prepared. Nothing we can do, babe. It's middle of the night when she wakes up sobbing and gasping and can't hardly breathe, lungs giving out like she's been stabbed with an invisible knife. Knife in her brain because they took away her communication device, and it's probs because she's been talking to Morit, and they don't want her talking to Morit, think she's going to change Morit's mind. But Morit isn't going to change. That's the sad part. They're afraid of you, but you have no power. They see you big and looming like a monster, and they take your keyboard, last kernel of defense you've got left. Cruel and unusual. She has to go see Morit. She slips out of her quarters and finds Morit's room number on the station map. Morit opens the door, looking tousled and shoddy, but very, very awake. 
She has an alcohol bottle in one hand, is wearing striped pajamas and a giant fuzzy sweater. I was writing a paper, she says, for a conference I'm planning to attend. Bit late, I know, and she grins until she notices that Kaya is limp and rocking and staring with distress. Hey, what's wrong? Kaya holds out her empty hands, trying to mime, except she's shaking all over, leaf-like. Not that we've got leaves up here. Mord is like, are you okay? And Kaya stares at her all. What is okay? What does that word even mean? How could I possibly be expected to answer this question? Mord is like, oh, and puts a hand on Kaya's shoulder, presses her down hard, and leads her in. Closes and locks the door behind them. She remembered. Kaya thinks to the fizz of her upset. She remembered about deep pressure. No light touches. Non-witches can learn. When Kaya slumps in the puffy armchair and manages to make her hands convey what happened, they took away my tablet, took it, took it, you said you'd go to HR, ha, Morit goes to her room and comes back with another tablet, which she shoves into Kaya's hands, no questions asked. Isn't that yours, Kaya types? Morit shrugs. I can find another somewhere. It's criminal what they did. Criminal, she says, as though the law is relevant. Moret the eugenicist, who would have Kaya dead, but who doesn't say, I would never take away your tablet, because she doesn't have to say so. Kaya knows. Kaya wonders what it means for her to see Moret like this, past midnight when Moret's hair is all messed up and she's loopy with sleep deprivation and pajamaed. Maybe it's weird. Maybe it doesn't count because Kaya is a lich. Maybe it's not a scene clouded with intimacy because Kaya is a lich. She can only hope. So, says Moret one night when it's got a bit late for philosophizing and when Kaya has, at long last, accepted that drink, if only just to prove she could. If only to see the shocked face of the bartender when he receives her ID and discovers, no, he's got to sell alcohol to a lich, even if he thinks Moret is her caregiver of some kind and she's dumb as a brick. Gotta let the excess population get drunk. Or tipsy, rather. Morit is adorably flushed, spinning out ten-dollar words in every sentence, rambling and stumbling like the philosopher she is. What a sophist, baby. You're all talk, no action. Because action would mean your hands at my throat and you literally ready to snuff me out of existence, just like you promised in your monograph. Oh, excuse me, my toddler throat. My past theoretical throat. Forgive me if it's hard for me to understand the difference. But philosophers don't know what words mean. No idea that symbols on a page have bearing in reality. Kaya can speak and speak, and Morit will still crinkle her nose at her, confused. Morit sees Kaya the person, and she sees the word lich, and they are two circles in her head with no contact. Venn diagram whose middle is empty. Lemnisket, cut through the center. Kaya wishes she could be flattered. She's just waiting honestly for this to break and blow over so she can get on with her silent life. Kaya doesn't need memories of her time with the guild. This is dangerous. Morit calls her, unknowingly, back to her old occupation and, Nothing we can do, babe. No way around that. So, act. If I'm a strumpet, you're a whore. Tell me what you're waiting for. Tell me what you're waiting for. 
So it's one of these things, Morit asks, half slurly, crazy eyes and lopsided grin, tilted the same angle as her glasses. She always starts with a so. You were saying there's things where you do conform to stereotype. You seem like a lich. And then there's lich qualities that impact you in unexpected ways. Give me an example, Abya. Kaya laughs, leans forward to slam her fingers on the keyboard. So, echoing again, we liches with my particular diagnosis. We've got a habit. We walk on our toes. See what that means? She draws it out, amused by the need to explain toe-walking to an outsider. <laughs> Secrets of the trade. The trade, then, is a life of obscurity and humiliation. Good enough. In short, says Kea, I can walk really well in heels. Lich woman not supposed to be capable. Mystery. Lich in stilettos take station by storm. She's like, I own a zillion pairs. I can show you if you want. It's not even speech. It's this gabbling confession blurted out of her tablet without clear intent. She's riding the edge of a dangerous thought into sheer ruin. You open your closet. You're like, ha ha, hang on a second. With the keyboard, Morit puts her hands in her pockets and waits in the living room of your quarters, leaving you in the bedroom to struggle with the shoes. They're pretty damn high, like four inches, and you're otherwise still clad in your bag of a janitor's uniform. Ridiculous. But your hips can sway, and you convince yourself for an instant you're a woman. Okay, you type. Come back in. Moritz wearing a tie, loosened. You hate her. She raises her eyebrows and does that oh-ho thing people do. Like, indeed, I was not expecting that. Satisfaction curls low in your gut because you have succeeded. You have surprised her. Heh. <laughs> Victory is ours. Lich pride. Or something. You walk across the room and give a sort of celebratory, flourishy flap. You're perfectly on balance. Mort is chuckling like she got the answer wrong on an exam, and she's just now finding out why. You stumble into her space. She catches you by the shoulder. Your faces are in kissing distance, whatever, whatever, and then she draws back and sits down on your bed with a thump. Kea, she says. Look, you're not safe, hanging around me. You turn into a monster with raging, gnashing teeth. Should have known. I just want you to be safe, she says. I am worried they will do things to you again. Push, concerned about my welfare. Kea gnashes her monster teeth. Look, says Morit, leaning forward, folding her hands. There's an implant. She doesn't get any further before Kea is typing as rapidly as she can and the tablet is speaking. No, 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 no. And an endless string, because really, what did Morit expect? Morit knows Kea well enough. She ought to know what Kea will find unbearable. Morit draws back, concerned pity blooming on her face. When the no's are done, Kea types slowly, waits for the words to emerge. You think that's what I want? Morit shakes her head fast in exasperation. No, no, of course I don't. It's just, Kea, you know what the stakes are here. If you don't accept some kind of reparative therapy, they... they might blank you out. They probably will. You've got too much clout for a lich, so unless they can classify you otherwise, 
They'll just want to get rid of you. Her voice breaks in the last few syllables. I shouldn't have talked to you. We shouldn't have started whatever this is. Hand movements sloppy and vague. Well, that's your fault, ain't it? Thinks Kaya sourly. She merely shrugs like it doesn't matter. Should have known. Nothing you can do. Should have assumed from the start this wouldn't work. Nothing we can do, babe. What you can do is finish the picture. Like, once more it leaves, you can wrangle yourself into an outfit befitting the heels, sway back out to the station bar. You can get trashed and return to quarters, then lie back on your bed sideways with your feet on the floor in your shimmery, skin-tight dress that's printed with lollipops, fishnet stockings, hair sparkles, and a face full of makeup, and jerk off with your stilettos still on. You think that's gross, huh? She wonders what it's like for people who are allowed to do these things. Dance around your room, sans coordination, singing along to Nash's most violently sad songs. Crash into a lamp and don't bother to set it upright. Lich can sing but cannot talk. Hoax! Science declares speaking and singing use very different brain functions. But can we trust science? She wonders what it's like to be a person, a woman, who is allowed to be in this situation, and it's letting off steam. It's, didn't work out the way we thought it would. It's, my girlfriend dumped me, or, I dumped my girlfriend. She was fucking eugenics on the side. And then you'd get sympathy. The crowd would go, aw, Kea, I'm so sorry. Your girlfriend is a sack of trash. And she'd go, hey, I work with trash for a living. That's an insult to my chosen discipline. But Morit had never even, even, even... Together was not a word they dropped in this story. A romance conducted in asides and ellipses, a love story that never was. She's full of words on how to describe it. Not so sure how to do anything but file it away in a memory box. Hope the procedure blots out the details. She's counting on that. Of course, they do blank her out. Kaya's not sure how they get the legal permission to do this, or if they even bother anymore. It's a selective erasure of memory, just the stuff that Morit may have told her. Just so she doesn't have the encyclopedic knowledge of the preps for the ewer and whatever she's heard while janitoring her way around the place. It's cool. Not like she was planning a conspiracy anyhow. Kaya doesn't have the organizational skills for a coup. Of course, you gotta be strapped down and your head put in one of those things and bright lights, white walls, blah blah, arms bound with thick leaden cloth, spread like an angel. Kaya's compliant. She's always been patient like that. So good, so good with the nurses and the caregivers, cooing at her like an obedient pet. The doctor motions. Kaya spreads her arms wide. I, too, am an unclaimed colony. They strap her down to the machine. She slams her head back, closes her eyes. If you're the mantle, I'm the core. Tell me what you're waiting for. Tell me what you're waiting for. Foolish mortals, you underestimate. Echo is stronger than diamond. When she wakes up, she will whisper it, the words of Nash still present on her lips, hovering and perfectly preserved. Tell me what you're waiting for and Morit will be in the corner of the room, arguing with the doctors, her voice loud and clear and persistent. 
They will meet eyes, Kea and Morat, and Morat will smile, her grin crackling joy to see Kea awake, alive, remembering a little, and Kea will tell herself sternly, you are never to speak to that woman again. What a stupid thing to think. Welcome back. The prose in this story was particularly challenging to read out loud. There are lots of sentence fragments and changes in voice and POV as you integrate the internal monologue with the dialogue and the song lyrics. And I hope that I got across the complexity of what was going on for you. But if not, or even if you think I did, you should probably go to the website and take a look at the text of the story to see how it was put together not just trust my rendering of it. While you're there, leave a comment either on the story or the podcast to tell us what you thought of it. You'll also be able to check out the rest of this week's content, which includes a poem, Triptych, by Jane Crowley. And, of course, check out our fundraiser page, see where we are, and uh, go ahead and add some red to our rocket ribbon. That's all for this week. Until next time, stay strange.